0: Five, four, three, two, one, zero, ignition,
1: liftoff. Look at them, madam.
2: Have you ever in your entire life seen anything so beautiful?
3: I'm sorry, I don't know anything about stamps.
2: Live from the USS Langley, This is the award-winning Stamp Show Here Today, episode number 210, brought to you by the Southern Nevada Philatelic Research Center.
1: This is Tom. This is Scott. This is Cash. And this is Dawn.
2: First, we'd like to thank the following individuals. Jeannie Croft, Gary Greenberg, Bill Langs, Christine Schilling, James Fursten, Denny Moreau, Ray Martin, and Bill Hontos for joining the Stamp Show Here Today Club. For more information on how to join Stamp Show Here Today, APS chapter number 1606, go to our website at stampshowheretoday.com. Today we are discussing post offices on board Navy ships. Go Navy. Yeah, I think you might be biased. (laughs) (laughs) Just pointing it out, not making any judgments. Just a statement of fact. I know, but you know, Cash wrote this.
1: No, I did. What? No, he oh, did? No, excuse me, I rewrote what he wrote.
2: Okay. No, you
1: rewrote
0: what he copied.
1: <laughs> there's that too. <laughs> yeah. Even 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 more so,
0: yes. Well well, there's a great little part where uh, even off of Wikipedia, Wikipedia contradicted itself.
1: Yeah, he copied one thing and I from Wikipedia and I told him, I said, Oh, by the way, I fixed your grandiose error. It's not nine Japanese bombers, it's sixteen. And he's like, I got it off Wikipedia. I'm like, so did I. And the very top of the page says nine. And further down in the descriptions, it says 16. Of course, we'll get to that part. You'll hear about it. But that was just nuts. I'm like, wow.
0: So if there's an error, blame Wikipedia.
1: If it's on the internet, it must be true.
2: Yep. Well, yeah, absolutely. On this day in history in 1920, the USS Langley, CB-1, and AV 3 was the first aircraft carrier of the United States Navy. The Langley was a converted collier, the USS Jupiter.
0: You're mi- you're was- mi- hold on, hold on. You're mispronouncing it. It's collar. Like on your shirt. It's more like Kohler. Kohler? Kohler. So it's the Kohler. Okay, oh.
2: then what? And know,
0: that'll
3: make sense when you read the rest of the sentence.
2: Okay. It's a collar, not a co. Coal.
3: It's- as in coal. It
1: carried coal. It carried coal.
2: Ah, oh, that makes more sense. <laughs>
0: But it's spelled Collier. (laughs) Like a Collier.
2: And that does not make sense.
0: It's like Lassie, only filled with coal.
2: Okay.
1: Real simple explanation for that, because English.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I know, right? The Langley was a converted Kohler, the USS Jupiter. A Kohler was a bulk cargo ship designed to carry coal and transfer it to warships at rates of up to 40 tons an hour.
1: That's insane.
0: <laughs> that is a lot.
1: That's a lot,
0: That's a lot. Yeah. of coal.
1: Yeah. I mean, how I many how it. many guys with how many shovels did you have to have going to do 40 tons an hour? <laughs> <laughs> a they
2: lot. Had big <laughs>
1: <laughs> I mean, I've seen pictures of the boiler rooms of the Titanic, so I can only imagine
0: yes. what it must have taken to transfer forty tons of coal in an hour. Well when I was working on this, I thought it said collier and I had no clue what it is. And I'll give a shout out to Gary Greenberg. He uh, he explained it to me and I go, oh, we gotta put that in the script because I had no idea what a collar kohler. I thought it was caller kohler is.
2: With her keel laid down in October of nineteen eleven, the Jupiter was commissioned on April seventh, nineteen thirteen. And was the first turboelectric powered ship of the US Navy. The Jupiter was built at Mare Island Naval Shipyard in Vallejo, California. On October tenth, nineteen fourteen, the Jupiter set sail for Philadelphia, becoming the first vessel to pass through the Panama Canal from west to east. Oh cool. That is cool.
1: Now is that the first see now see now you can now you, now you can see where you can tell where Kaz stopped copying and I started writing because he's like, oh, cool, because that wasn't in his part. <laughs> so <laughs> I thought that was a really cool fact. So yeah. I, have
3: a, I have a question. Was that the actually the first vessel period or was it the first naval vessel?
0: Um, I'm going to get the first naval vessel because the, I know the first vessel, they have the – uh, wasn't
3: the Panama Canal finished
0: a lot earlier than right. 1914? But no, it was the Ancona. And Conya. And they have a whole bunch of caches of that first ship that right. went through. Right. And you know, they're they're kind of but, cool to get.
2: But it go from east to west, because this is from west to east.
3: Yes, I understand that. So But how many letters have we seen early, you know, classic period US that tra- uh traversed from San Francisco to New York
0: mm-hmm.
3: you know, in the US mails, carrying US
0: mail? Oh, San Francisco to New York was yeah. like, a, what was it, about two and a half months when you were on a fast boat? And you could uh, shave two weeks off it by going through Nicaragua. So it, it, the fastest that you could get a letter from New York to San Francisco, and I'm talking about like the 1850s, was uh, about two months.
3: Yeah, but I'm talking San Francisco back to New York. Yeah. So yeah. are you saying they didn't send anything through the canal in that direction? See, that's why I'm asking. Is this the first naval vessel or is it the first vessel, period?
0: No, it's first naval vessel because, Uh, like I said, the Anconia. Anconia. Anconia, yeah. And you can find those covers. Those are really neat covers because they're canceled in uh, Canal Zone, and it's got a really nice, neat green cachet. It's a very difficult uh, letter to miss. And if you see them, pick them up because they are very historical and very neat and uh, not real expensive.
2: Put to port in Norfolk, Virginia, the Jupiter was converted to the first naval aircraft carrier as an experiment in a new idea of seaborne aviation and was renamed the Langley after Samuel Pierpont Langley, an American astronomer, physicist, and aviation pioneer.
3: Oh, and by the way, the ship was the Ancon, not the Anconia.
0: Oh, okay. Hmm.
2: Fun fact, an unusual feature of the Langley was provision for a carrier pigeon house on the stern between the five-inch guns. Pigeons have been carried aboard seaplanes for message transport since World War One, and were to be carried on aircraft operated from Langley.
0: So the aircraft carrier carried pigeons in addition to airplanes? Yes. Cool.
3: Because, I mean, y- you carry them on board the seaplane, and if the seaplane has to, it, you know, say they're out there doing searching for the enemy ships and they're out of radio range or they don't want to break radio silence to identify themselves, they drop a carrier pigeon, which flies back to the ship, with the message of where the enemy ships are. I mean, it's it's a way of, of communicating without drawing attention to yourself and uh, possibly getting shot down. Yeah, cool, though. <laughs> uh, it's a great idea. Yeah. I mean, we're talking aircraft that, you know, their speeds weren't so high that... Uh, you know, tossing a yeah, tossing, a tossing bird a out pigeon out the window it, yeah. wouldn't kill it.
0: <laughs> yeah.
2: The pigeons were trained at Norfolk Naval Shipyard while Langley was undergoing conversion. As long as the pigeons were released a few at a time for exercise, they returned to the ship. But when the whole flock was released while Langley was anchored off Tangier Island, the pigeons flew south and roosted in the cranes of the Norfolk Shipyard. The pigeons never went to sea again, and the former pigeon house became the executive officer's quarters. No <laughs> man, I bet that's
3: I bet that smelled great.
0: Oh jeez!
3: <laughs> and that also explains why there's so many darn pigeons on Norfolk Maple Shipyard.
0: <laughs> and that's uh, well, tot- a good
3: place to put the executive officer too.
0: Totally off <laughs> the uh, subject. Too, I <laughs> want to give a shout out to Armando. He is a famous racing pigeon, which was just put out to stud, purchased by a Chinese fellow for $1.5 million. Okay.
1: Okay. Armando, the you're to- racing You're pigeon. totally lying. You're totally making that up. Oh, no,
0: no. you no, got to
2: gotta be making
0: this up. Nope. Nope. I heard about it today. Armando, the racing pigeon. <laughs> so
1: just for uh, clarification, I found a... Uh, first first transit 100 years of the US Navy in the Panama Canal and it does say that the Jupiter was the first naval ship it doesn't state that it was the first vessel aha dear lord so in heaven cash isn't lying <laughs> what about armando
2: oh shit
1: <laughs> chinese buyer bids record 1.4 million for <laughs> racing pigeon <laughs> I'm sorry. I thought you were making that up. I'm like, how on earth did he go? How on earth did he stretch this from carrier pigeons to a 1.4 million dollar racing pigeon? No, that just happened. (laughs) No, no, it didn't. There's no way. Well, the internet can't lie. Yes, Yes, it did. (laughs) It did happen. Inside Inside Edition, Time Magazine, CNN. He's not making it up, unless he got unless he's doing Wikipedia on all those websites today.
2: In World War II, the Langley sailed to Australia and became part of the American, British, Dutch, Australian Command naval forces and spent time assisting the Royal Australian Air Force on anti submarine patrols. On February 27th, while carrying 32 P 40 Warhawks, she was attacked by 16 Imperial Japanese bombers with a 15 fighter escort. Although able to evade two separate bombing runs by turning the ship out of the bomb's path, the Japanese bombers changed tactics, dropping not only where the Langley was, but also where she could turn to. The third bombing run resulted in the Langley getting hit by a combination of five 130 and 550-pound bombs, killing 16 crewmen. With her deck in flames and engine room flooded, the Langley was not able to maneuver into a nearby harbor and was ordered abandoned. The attending destroyers fired nine four-inch shells and two torpedoes into the Langley to sink her, preventing capture by the Japanese.
3: Now, when it says the deck was in flames, that's not because there was uh, fuel and all this other stuff on the deck. It was because the deck was actually made of wood.
1: Mm. I thought you were going to say it was like the coal was going up too.
3: Well, that would be in the engine room as long as it's not underwater, yes.
1: Well, the engine room was flooded. I read that part. I just left it out.
0: Oh, speaking about uh, underwater, uh, what did you just look up today?
1: Oh, the other day I noticed that um, it's really, speaking of underwater and speaking of aircraft carriers, they just recently located the wreckage of the USS Wasp. Awesome. Um the u s s wasp and found uh, out in Guadalcanal off of Australia nearly
0: fourteen thousand feet down and that wow. lo- and that low there's no oxygen or anything. it's in like really really nice condition, you know they had airplanes that still had the paint on them and everything
1: yeah if you if if you're interested, look it up um i think they found it in January, but I guess it's really just starting to get the media attention now they're releasing. Some of the pictures and stuff, and the pictures are amazing. I mean, for a ship that's been underwater since 1942, um, you can see the guns. I mean, you look like you could give the thing a a good rehaul, and the guns could fire again. (laughs) It's in such condition. Wow. Um, So, yeah, it was 1942. It was sunk, and it was discovered by the same group that uh, found the USS Indianapolis and also the USS Hornet.
0: Well.
3: Hmm. Anyway, some really cool underwater pictures if you want to go check them out.
2: From a stamp collecting standpoint, this brings up post offices on Navy ships. Did you know that Navy ships had post offices on them? I did. Well, we know you did. (laughs) Surprise, surprise. (laughs) Duh.
3: Well, how do you think I got mail? Both on and off. Carrier pigeon.
1: Uh, I was going to say (laughs) that. Well, you know. Well, for $1.4 million, you could have bought your own racing pigeon, apparently.
2: (laughs) Evidently, you could have. Well,
1: you know, at that time, I probably could have bought my own ship,
3: too.
2: Yeah, really. In 1908, Congress authorized post offices aboard ships and stations of the U.S. Navy. These post offices offered the same service as post offices in regular cities and have identifiable postmarks, just like city postmarks. In the 1930s, stamp collectors began sending their own covers to U.S. Navy ships to be canceled and returned. Also around this time, cachets were printed, stamped, or hand-drawn on the naval covers. These designs are very popular. The cachet may be specific to a ship, an event, or may be generic in design. Covers commemorating kill layings, launchings, or ship commissionings are very popular with collectors.
3: Well, that's actually quite true, and... um, it's you know we said in the 1930s uh collectors started sending their own covers to the Navy ships. I have seen covers from the late twenties as well. They're not as common, but uh it, I agreed in the 1930s is when it became very popular to do so
0: it, it, in the 1930s it became let's say philatelic. In the yes. 1920s, you can find them, but generally speaking, they don't have cachets on them. And the, oh,
3: another interesting thing is, you can find a lot of times you can find things related to Christmas, New Year's, Navy Day. Uh, it could be a port that they were visiting. Uh, sometimes in the in the cancellation, it'll tell you where they're visiting. Uh, you know, Havana, or not Mm -hmm. Havana, but um, Guantanamo Bay, Bay, Cuba, Mm -hmm. Shanghai, China, Japan, uh, Philippines, Hong Kong, uh, Hawaii. Uh, You know, anything like that 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 could be related to uh, a group of ships visiting uh, a port uh, is a target for these things. And they were very... There were a lot of collectors that actually did this. So oh, yeah.
0: Well, I, I have experience with naval covers also. And in my opinion, there are two significant dates in this. The first one is when uh, Teddy Roosevelt sent the Great White Fleet around the world. Yes. Now, you don't have really the naval cancel caches. What you have is postcards. They made a bunch of postcards of the ships and then mailed them from the ships So in 1908 to about, I think it returned in 1912. From 1908 to 1912, you have these really, really fantastic postcards postmarked on the ships. uh, Very, very attractive, very popular. The second thing is the USS Constitution went on a... uh, cruise sort of a publicity thing in 1931 and it lasted till 1933 and you have a ton of USS Constitution covers at that time cuz it was really big in the news is a historical ship. Uh the ship was actually decommissioned and was going to be destroyed and public outcry said no 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 you have to keep this ship and it's still commissioned today. I mean, we're talking about a ship that was built in 1812. So what I see is these uh, 1932 USS Constitution covers, and they're very colorful, and they've got nice cachets. And then when that happened, all the rest of the Navy ships go, hey, we can produce these too.
3: Well, also in 1932 was uh, the Washington Bicentennial of yep. his
0: birth. Right. That's and, why they did it. Yeah. yeah. So they were very historical uh, patriotic at that time, you know, 1932, they had the world's fair and stuff like that. So there was a lot of stuff going on and you see a lot of USS constitution covers from all over the country and certain parts of the world where it was floating around.
3: Well, and, and then there's, there's also certain events that uh, are, are definitely collectible. I mean, obviously if you can get one from a ship that was at Pearl Harbor um, people, people look for caches from ships that were sunk at Pearl oh, yeah. Harbor.
0: Yeah. Well, it, what are you doing? What? You. <laughs> There's a lot of noise coming from your side. I'm by an airport and I've moved. Oh, okay. Well, it, actually, Scott, uh, read a little bit further. Cause we go into that here.
3: Uh, uh yeah. So, um, but yeah, uh, the uh, atomic tests at Bikini Atoll mm-hmm. for ships that either, you know, that were either there for any one of the tests, or uh, you know, any anything that can be connected with some of these significant events, particularly around surrounding World War II, uh, are are very collectible, and sometimes the cachets are are attractive, multicolored. Uh, they're just. Very collectible. Yeah. And uh, it, it's kind of a related to first-day cover collecting in that, that a lot of these have cachets, but um, also uh, smaller ships. Uh, some naval cover collectors go after just submarines. Mm-hmm. You know, any ship with a smaller crew is typically going to be harder to find. Submarines are harder to find because they could only... Uh put mail out when they were in port. Um, a lot of the a lot of the ships would transfer their mail to a larger ship that would have an airplane mm-hmm. that would transfer the mail to shore while the ship was still out at sea if there was room. And even in today's Navy, they do that if If there's room, mail leaves the ship. but if they you know, but they're looking at and the same thing with coming on board. It, you know, if if they have to move parts and people and things like that, then the mail gets bumped.
0: Yeah. There are so many naval covers that you could collect that, well, that people have to have a way to sort of limit their collection. Right. Because, you know, there are people who collect every ship. You know, they want one naval cover from every single ship. Well, that's a daunting task. That's, it it, it that's
3: is. huge. Well, it's like wanting every one stamp from, you know. Everything worldwide. Yeah, it's a very daunting task. But another thing is, modern uh, ship covers are more scarce. Actually,
0: actually, you are correct. Yes, um, and and very part of that
3: so. part of that has to do with you know the collector base kind of shrinking a little bit, and so the collectors not sending their mail directly to the ship, to, and the ships are not providing caches and. And uh, commemorating events.
0: Well, I think that the military fell out of vogue about twenty years ago. Oh, I would say more than that. And okay, th- I
3: would say after Reagan.
0: Yeah, and so uh, collecting military stuff kind of, sort of went. It 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 didn't stop by any stretch, but it sort of dropped a bit. And so there, people are going to find over you know collectors over the next time period that the hardest things to find are going to be from like the 1980s, 1990s, and the early 2000s. And, uh, you know, that's going to be the tough time, and the easy time is probably actually going to be the uh, last few years of World War II and a couple of years after that, because everybody had nothing to do when, you know, the war ended, and everybody was looking for ways to do stuff in past time, and they cranked out Tons of these uh, letters.
3: Yeah, I, I agree. It's it's an interesting time period, and it's an interesting thing to collect if you want to get into it.
0: Yeah, one thing I will I would like to mention is the Crosby covers because those are cool. Yes, and it, Crosby it, you can always recognize his covers because they have little photographs on him. He glue, glued photographs. Now, to them.
3: one thing I learned that uh, I didn't know was that Crosby actually sold his uh, rights to creating that type of cover to somebody else. I can't think of the name off the top of my head. But um, they're they're generally referred to as Crosby cachets. but some of the later ones were not created by Crosby himself. They were created by somebody else. Oh,
0: interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah. For the most part,
2: naval covers are modestly priced, and large collections can be formed with a relatively small monetary investment. Collectors who send envelopes to Navy ships for cancellation add to their collection for little more than the cost of a stamp for the cover and a stamp to mail it to the ship. Naval covers can be found for sale by some stamp dealers, dealers specializing in covers or postal history, and from online auction sites such as eBay. Some postmarks are more difficult to find, as are some ships or certain cachet designs, resulting in moderately to high-priced covers.
3: Now another thing is the type of ship. A lot of times can drive the price. Battleships are extremely popular.
0: Yeah, I see battleship of and aircraft
3: carriers, battleships, and submarines.
0: aircraft carriers, and submarines. Everything else is a distant fourth.
3: Right, unless yeah. it has a nice cachet or or some other uh, draw. Yeah, but it people just, like just, the battleships. Right, just to the just the name of the ship isn't going to drive it as much as the type of ship or the cachet.
2: The Universal Ship Cancellation Society can help a collector learn about the hobby, learn how and where to send for ship cancellations, provide reference materials for learning about the hobby, and provides a well-written monthly magazine, the USCS Log, devoted to the hobby. Included in the magazine are monthly cover auctions, articles about the current fleet, And historical articles. Members can also join sales circuits where other members send items they are offering for sale. Another outstanding feature of the Society is the many local chapters where members meet and exchange covers, thoughts, and ideas. The Society, founded in 1932, has approximately 1,400 members located in the United States as well as in 15 different countries
3: cool now a couple couple notes the USCS log a log is a, like a logbook where you keep records and so that's why they call their monthly magazine the log captain's
2: uh, log yes yes
3: it's basically just a diary or a, a record
2: so scott yes scott yes you you are our navy guy let's start off by what is the number thing the langley was cv1 what is a cv1
3: well the numbers general or the numbers and letters generally uh will tell you what type of ship it is and then what number it is in the build list so the one is obviously the first ship of that class the c stands for carrier and the v is for fixed wing aircraft um if you think of jets today the 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 wings are fixed in a V shape swept back and that's all of that is is a CV it's a fixed wing aircraft carrier
0: why didn't they call it CF
3: go crawl into somebody else's <laughs> mind <laughs> But you look at the carriers today, and and uh, like the USS Nimitz is CVN sixty eight. It's a fixed wing carrier, and it's uh, nuclear powered. So the N stands for nuclear.
0: Oh, so they should be like a CVC because it's cold powered. No, no. Oh.
1: I don't think they had power options then. <laughs> I think they were all coal powered, <laughs> yeah. hence the coaliers.
3: Well, there's there's a difference between and now it, it the this was a turbo electric ship. It was one of the first turbo electric ships. And what that means is instead of the coal directly uh, producing uh, powering boilers power, for steam, right? They took that steam and then they used a an electric generator. Uh, Combined with a turbine, which was driven by the steam, to create electricity for the boat.
0: So this was actually a CVT. <laughs> You're describing quit. the
2: transmission in Mike Freestyle. Yeah. <laughs> quit, quit,
0: quit trying. Well, yeah, you. But tell everybody what you own. Uh, you have a uh, hybrid Mustang, don't you?
2: I'm not speaking to you now. <laughs>
0: For those of you who have ever heard of the movie Birdemic, you would catch that joke.
3: Also, the term Mustang in the Navy refers to an enlisted man who's been uh, promoted to an officer grade. They're called Mustangs. How much time do we have left? As much time
1: as you
0: want. How much time have we been going? I don't know. Uh, We're at like half an hour. A little over. Try again. Not bad. 36 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> why, why don't we do the celebration of the thirtieth anniversary of the moon landing and then save the rest for next one?
3: Yes. Yeah,
2: thirtieth. What year are you in?
3: Yeah. Really. Since I commented on there not being one in the stamp program as announced previously. Yes. So they've come out with more announcements, I guess.
1: They have. Um, in celebration of, as Cash said, the thirtieth. I mean, the fiftieth. <laughs> Back when we landed on the moon in 19, what, 80? (laughs) In celebration of the 50th anniversary of the first moon landing on July 20th, 1969, the U.S. Postal Service is pleased to reveal two stamp designs commemorating that historic milestone.
0: Hold on, hold on. I actually like the design of these.
1: These are really cool.
0: It's the 30th anniversary of the 20th anniversary.
1: Shut up. Thank you. Additional details are coming about the date, time, and location for the first day of issue ceremony. I think they're trying to figure out how to plan to have the first day of issue on the moon. So
0: Yeah, there you go. Yeah,
1: that's what um, I was thinking. That'd are, be cool. There are two, wouldn't it? Um, that's the, the kids that are currently training to go to Mars. They're going to stop and stop at the moon, do the first day issue, and then I, I, continue <laughs> to Mars.
3: You know, it might, be a, it might be an expensive ticket to attend that ceremony, though.
1: Could be. There are two stamps that are going to be issued. The first stamp features a photograph of Apollo eleven astronaut Buzz Aldrin in his space suit. I was gonna say it's Studio 54, but <laughs> uh,
0: and in his visor you can see the reflection of everything. It's a really, really super cool looking stamp.
1: Yes, and the
3: It's image- not a reflection of the photographer though. Is it-
1: <laughs> <laughs> the image was taken by astronaut Neil Armstrong. The other stamp, a photograph of the moon taken in 2010 by Gregory H. Rivera of Huntsville, Alabama, shows the landing site of the lunar module in the Sea of Tranquility. The site is indicated on the stamp by a dot.
3: A yellow dot. Yes.
1: The salvage includes an image of the lunar module. Art director Antonio Alcala designed the stamp art.
0: Mr. Alcala is doing a lot of stamps lately. I
3: I agree, and I think he's doing a pretty good job. He is the art director. Based on these stamps. The images are interesting, and it actually tells you what it's commemorating.
0: But it's from a 2010 picture by this guy (sighs) Mm -hmm. from Huntsville, Alabama. It's the picture of the moon. I mean, it, it just happens to be that guy was pointing his camera there because, I mean, anybody could have that picture. Yeah, pretty much. Yes,
1: but... He gets credit for it. Yes, because I think they're trying to avoid the Statue of Liberty debacle.
0: Ah, good point. Good point.
1: Theoretically, he is the photographer whose picture they use that is his copyrighted image.
0: Ah, Okay. How I,
1: how a photographer of all the people who have taken a picture of the full moon can say, oh, that one's mine. I don't know. But <laughs> my theory is based on what they went through with the whole Statue of Liberty thing, yeah. they're giving a lot of credit to the guy whose picture they're actually using now.
0: Got it. Yeah, because it makes no sense. You know, it's the moon. You know, if you go outside and look. That's, but, yeah, you're right. It's probably for legal purposes that they're giving credit for the photographer. Although, I mean, that one's pretty cool. You know, it's got the little yellow dot. The really, really cool one is the spacesuit stamp. That is cool. And go to uh, stampshowheretoday.com, and you can uh, see the stamp. Uh, You can probably see the stamp all over the place, because I'm sure they're going to be advertising the heck out of it.
1: Well, right now, you know, I had trouble finding it. Um, I saw other places that were saying, oh, it's coming out. But on the USPS's website, I actually had to go to their newsroom page to find the information.
0: Oh, that's interesting.
1: Well, I guess it's not for sale yet. I mean, they just announced it, so it's not a... They don't even have a release date.
0: Well, like Scott said, you know, uh, they haven't announced that they were going to have it. And it's like, they have to have one. I mean, it's 50th Yeah, we, we
3: pretty much kind of figured they would. But then in their first press release for What's Coming, that it wasn't there. and It's like... Well, hmm, what are they thinking? Yeah,
0: exactly. So I can picture a whole bunch of interesting first-day covers and combo covers that are going to be made for well, this. You
3: know, yeah, and you know they haven't announced what they're going to do for Christmas this year either. So well, yeah. there's still more coming.
0: Yeah, but it's like, uh, you know, the end of World War One. I. They, we, did, we did squat for that. And well. so, you know, it, it, we kind of wonder... What the post office is going to come out with. I mean, luckily, everything they're coming out with is surprising us because it's really good quality as opposed to, you know, two years ago when everything well, was Well, it's quality. better quality. Oh, no, I would give this stamp a solid A, A-plus even. Oh, this one. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
3: What else we got? Sesame Street. Yeah, uh, Sesame Street.
1: You know, going back to that real quick, the the, the lunar landing thing. I think it would be absolutely fantastic if they, like, had the first day ceremony at Universal Studios just to mess with people.
0: <laughs>
3: <laughs> well, maybe that's what's taking them so long to come out with the date and location. Oh, right?
0: that's terrible.
3: Because Universal, has to, yeah. Cause Universal has to build a set. funny. Because Universal Studios has to build the set.
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
1: So, they're also going to be coming out with uh, Sesame Street, which was, this was not part of the original 2019 stamp issues. Actually, everything we're discussing today, we haven't even finished the, the original 2019 mm-hmm. issues. These are new issues being announced already.
0: And this one here, but, uh, you know, when you look at it, you're going to notice it. There's no Kermit, no Miss Piggy, stuff like that. Those are Muppets. They're Those, not are are Street. Muppet, Street. Exactly. Those are Muppets. Exactly. These are the Sesame Street guys.
1: So the Postal Service honors Sesame Street as one of the most influential and beloved children's television shows for the last 50 years. Did they find Sesame Street on the moon? Wait
3: a, wait a minute. I, I thought Kermit and Miss Piggy were part of Sesame Street. They
0: were, they but make they appearances. were. Lic- Kermit was, not Miss Piggy. No, Kerm- I, I'm not, yeah, you are probably correct, but what happened was yeah. the licensing spun off. So two totally different licensing. They're all Jim
1: Henson, though, right? I, I was yeah. not I, in no, I, no, no, they're not. no, they're not. Sesame Street wasn't Jim Henson?
0: No, nope. Sesame. I'm sorry, Jim Henson. Yes, did the Muppets and did Sesame Street. Yeah, but then That's what they I'm separated the licensing for the two. Right. So mm-hmm. Sesame Street, you know, you can see Grover and Cookie Monster, but you can't get Kermit on the same licensing.
2: Right.
1: So for the last 50 years, it has provided educational programming and entertainment for generations of children throughout the country and around the world. The stamp art features photographs of 16 Muppets from Sesame Street, Big Bird, Ernie, Bert, Cookie Monster, Rosita, The Count, Oscar the Grouch, Abby Cadabby, Henry Monster, Julia, That's Guy Harry. Smiley. That's Harry Monster. It's
2: Harry Monster.
1: <laughs> oh, oh, Harry. Yeah, I'm totally. <laughs> Did I say Harry? You said Henry. Henry. Oh. Well, it's H-E-R-R-Y. Sorry. Guy Smiley, Snuffleupagus, Elmo, Telly, Grover, and Zoe. Art director Derry Noyes designed the stamps. Is that
3: Snuffleupagus or Snuffleupagus? Snuffleupagus. Fine, it's a P. Well... No because when I yes. I, always S- pronu- I always thought he pronounced I always thought big bird pronounced and, it as an and F. I, and I'm just questioning is cuz you pronounce it Snuffleupagus and that's what I remember as a kid from being a kid yet seeing it spelled this way I don't know I haven't seen Sesame
0: Street in 40 years at least mm-hmm. I don't know they're cute though there's 16 of them can we all count together one And I can tell you that two, I don't recognize... You have to do it like the count. I don't recognize
1: six of them. Yeah.
0: One,
1: two, one. One. One little stamp. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> if you're going to do it, do it right, That's Cash. What I was
0: waiting for.
1: If you're going to do it, do it right. Ah, ah, That's ah, right. Ah, <laughs> ah. And I know the one that Cash has been waiting for, the T-Rex stamps. These are cool. I thought I totally still think these were a joke when you first showed them to me. Oh, really? Yep. I thought, you make up the goofy stamps for the podcast, and when I saw the skeleton looking at the little baby skeleton T-Rex, I'm like, (laughs) that is totally (laughs) a cash made-up stamp.
2: (laughs) I know! (laughs) I thought he made it up, too!
1: (laughs) So, with this pane of 16 stamps, uh, four different designs, the Postal Service brings Tyrannosaurus Rex to life, including the mama and baby skeleton T-Rex. I can't get over that. I know, me too. Some 66 million years after its demise, one design illustrates a face-to-face encounter with a T-Rex approaching through a forest clearing. Another shows the same young adult T-Rex with a young Triceratops, both dinosaurs shown in fossil form. In fossil form?
3: What am I missing?
0: That, yeah. must, <clears throat> that
3: I must be the lower left one they in mean,
0: the image. They mean bones... Yeah.
3: But I, don't see the tri- I don't see the Triceratops, though. I don't either. Well, they must consider the small skeleton to be the Triceratops. I
0: can't. No. no. A baby Triceratops? I think it's a typo. I, there is no Triceratops on any of these stamps. I didn't think so either. Yeah, I think it's a typo. Oh. The
1: third and fourth stamps depict a newly hatched T-Rex covered with tiny downy feathers and a bare-skinned juvenile T-Rex chasing a primitive mammal.
0: Oh, hold on, hold on, hold on. Oh, I, I get it. No, no, no. Yes, I see. I see what they're talking about.
1: The, quote, Nations T-Rex, the young adult depicted on two of the stamps, was discovered on federal land in Montana and is one of the most studied and important specimens ever found. Its remains will soon be on display at the Smithsonian Institution's National Museum of Natural History in Washington, D.C. Art director Greg Breeding designed the stamps with original artwork by Julius T... Satoni, I'm guessing. I'm sorry if I mispronounced your name. And you hear this, a scientist and paleo artist. Okay, I want that job title, paleo yeah. artist. That sounds like cool. You, so know, you know, I think
0: Galene wants that title. Yeah, you right. know why? <laughs> you know why the military likes Tyrannosaurus rexes? They're small arms dealers. <laughs> cool stamps, though, and I like the bony one. I do, too. It, it's just,
1: okay, it's definitely not a triceratops, though. Yeah.
0: yeah. And Although it does have longer front legs. It is interesting how they spell it. They have T. rex. T. rex. And I'm not sure if that's You know the what?
1: If you squint right, it almost looks like it might actually be a triceratops. Which one? Really? The bottom left image.
3: Yeah, I think it is.
1: It almost looks like a a shield back against its yeah it does the bony shield but I don't but I'm not seeing any horns on it.
2: It's probably too young. No, I, I th-
3: that's as big as I could get it.
1: I think the Scott's that- got it really zoomed in now. I just think it's a cat. Well,
0: <laughs> no, look look at the stamp next to it where the T Rex is like trying to eat the little raccoon thing.
3: Looks like a lemur. Well, oh, that, yeah, a that one lemur. also looks. Not to be a
1: T-Rex, because look at the size of the front legs on that one.
0: No, no, no. The, the no, but that
1: one they say is chasing a mammal.
0: Right. Right. So it's a T-Rex chasing a... Lemur. Food, lemur. Food. <laughs> and then you look at the one next to it, I think it's the same T-Rex chasing the same lemur. It's definitely not a Tyrannosaurus Rex.
1: You mean Triceratops.
0: Or, I'm sorry, Triceratops.
1: Well, we'll see what happens. Yeah. I've just... I copied this directly off the info I found, so... Yeah, it'll... Sorry, bad on me. I copy-pasted. I didn't fact-check.
0: No, I think that it's a uh, typo.
1: Well, the last stamps we're going to discuss, again, not part of the original 2019 release issues that they came out with, is the spooky silhouettes. And these are downright cool.
0: Yes. I like these.
1: Obviously set for a Halloween... Probably issue. a Halloween release, yes. But uh, are you
3: sure? Not, not identified as such.
1: No, uh. I'm not. But it does start. The description does start out. Halloween has been a has long been a holiday that lets us delight in the things that scare us. With the approach of autumn, spooky silhouette stamps will offer fun, frightful scenes that symbolize this annual celebration. Four stamps feature digital illustrations in which traditional Halloween motifs are rendered as black silhouettes in eerily backlit windows. Artist Tyler Lang created the artwork, and art director Greg Breeding designed the stamps. These are cool. I like them. They're fun.
3: Yeah, I, oh, I think they'll look better as single stamps than as than they do uh, in the as block. a group. Yeah. yeah.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Oh yeah.
1: It'll be fun to see. I imagine this will be a paint of sixteen, maybe. Uh, probably a paint of twenty. Oh, It'll you think be... they'll have lines of five lines of four? Like they yeah. did
0: with the uh, dragon stamp.
1: Yeah, the Sesame Street,
3: pro- since there's 16 different designs, it's probably going to be a pain of 16. Yeah. But uh, this one with four designs will probably be a pain of 20.
1: But well, it's cool. there's cool. Uh, there's one that's got a yellow background to it that's uh, a cat and a, presumably a crow or a raven a sitting raven. on a branch.
0: got to be a raven.
1: An orange background in kind of double gothic-looking windows with uh, ghosts. A red curtained window with a spider and a spider web, and that's just kind of cool, and then a purple window with bats and stars in it bats baby
3: mm-hmm. now i I do wish that there was an inscription for what their what the target is just halloween or or
1: you know like happy Halloween or something yeah, rather than just u s a forever
3: right and and a design i i wish I wish they would put a description on the stamp itself. I like them. I do too. I give it an A. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, a bunch of good issues in this
1: release.
0: Yeah. Well done, Post Office.
1: Next week we'll try and get back to the long-standing run of critiquing the uh, new releases that we've yet to finish.
3: Hand on that, let's and sink, on that let's and sink and this th- one into the uh,
1: history books. Ouch. Ouch. After talking about two sunk ships. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, thank you for listening. This has been Stamp Show here today, episode number 210. This was Tom. And Scott. And Cash. And Don. You can email us at stampshowheretoday at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and as always, keep collecting.
0: Stamp collecting happens when we dream together.